2: The goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello. So, what an interesting week that was. The special one returned as the Somrose rose. Arsenal were rubbish. Both Uniteds drew in a riveting contest, and the VAR D party continued in both senses. To so think about that and what it means to the upcoming Foster Clock of fixtures, three game weeks and seven days. Nick and I are joined today by the excellent Josh Williams, otherwise known as AtDistanceCovered on Twitter, to bring some expertise and some scout glam to proceedings. Uh, welcome Josh, i resisted just had the urge urged to uh, try an accent. Regular listeners will know I love to try them, but I uh, don't really want to offend you. Um, but in, in any case, uh, would you mind introducing yourself to the good people? I am Josh Williams, as you
0: can probably tell already. Uh, I have a very strong scout accent. Um, hopefully we'll get to okay though. Hopefully the majority of listeners can understand. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm just, uh, you know, my day-to-day role is just to do with, you know, providing mainstream football analysis um, for one of the UK's biggest media providers.
3: Yeah, great to have you on the pod today, Josh. Thanks for joining us. Um, yeah, it was a bit of an action-packed uh, couple of weeks since we last podded, hasn't it been, Tom? Obviously, uh, Pock's gone, um, so I'm quite emotional about that. As a Spurs fan, obviously, Um plenty to talk about and we'll be uh, covering that in depth a little bit later and yeah it was an action-packed game week as well VAR playing a huge role in the proceedings uh, unfortunately um, to the detriment of my actual personal team and to the success of Tom's but um, we'll talk about that in a little bit as well (laughs) just to say of course we are who got the assist. You can find us on Twitter at WGTN school FPO or myself at WGTN school Nick. And you can find us on iTunes or SoundCloud, Spotify or wherever you'd like to, to find your pod. So what we're talking about, Tom.
2: So this week it's uh, all about looking forward ahead to the next three game weeks which as I mentioned are uh, all spread over seven days. Uh, seasons may be made or broken during this period like mine was last year uh, so it's always good to get focused. We'll do this through peppering and listener questions as many are relevant to what we're covering. There's features this week but it's just the market forces because we have an interview with Dad the dad behind dad watch uh, so i want to make some time to fit that in as well and also get to all the questions and get through the main pod so things like the tom and nitpick and the over 30s etc will return next week we've also got some further questions from the community thanks very much for those two
3: yeah sounds good so um let's start with the game week reviews i, I don't really want to do mine um do you want to start first perhaps josh as the guest here and let us know how your game week went and um how your uh, season's progressing in fpl so far
0: uh, the game week was i think it was very average for me um i'm happy that we captain delivered because that that's been a problem throughout my season i think i think if you get a captain delivered and it's almost like having two players really and i think that's that's been an issue for me throughout the season but i went with manic um and I, I think i ended the game week with 65 points so not too bad didn't take a hit before the week either and the previous two weeks I've i've, I've been doing quite well as well had got seventy odd points before the international break. Seventy points the week before that. So steadily climbing, but at the minute it's it's still a very, very unpredictable season, I think.
2: Cool, yeah. And you mentioned you were about kind of four hundred and fifty K at the moment as well. So yeah, a couple of seventies and things like that are all um, all very good and seem to be getting you up there at least.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean as I said initially I, I perhaps showed a little bit too much loyalty to the you know, the usual performers. I think I went for Sterling in a couple of weeks. I went for Salah a couple of weeks. And usually I'd go for the player that didn't register any output. That was that tends to be how my season's gone at the minute. But I'm, I've gradually lost faith with those players, I think. I've seen went <laughs> to a completely different squad
2: now. Yeah no certainly It's um, definitely been A, a time which uh, A lot of people Have had their faith Tested and uh, Lots of movements Away from the likes Of S- uh, Salah and Sterling Have definitely been seen um, On to my week Before Nick uh, Starts his diatribe um, I got 69 points This week Which the, the teenager In me absolutely loved I've made no changes Looked to my team And asked myself Is it worth making changes, so Just roll the transfer Which I did um, So yeah 69 points Nick Pope at the back Came in with 9 points um, Mane um, And Kevin De Bruyne In midfield um, did the business for me and up front Jamie Vardy captain I benefited from VAR uh, with that penalty being retaken and scoring it and uh, Jimenez as well seven uh, the big kind of question for me last week was do I play uh, Soyuncu or do I play Mendy and I had Soyuncu in a week on Saturday morning I had some time to myself which is very rare normally I don't have the time so I don't look at my team but I did and I tinkered Mendy and I lost myself four points by doing so so yeah uh, 69 points up to 264k now and i am on equal points with uh, with young nicholas uh, which is a first for quite a while um but where i was very very happy nick you uh you really weren't were you i think
3: i was a, a picture of frustration over the weekend really i was i was quite happy with how it all was going and then just just a few elements just absolutely destroyed it for me. I, I went for the differential captain in the end, which was Trent. So first sort of the VAR um, madness was um, aiding me with that uh, disallowed Crystal Palace goal, the first one. But then um, I also had Madison and um, I did bring in Vardy but um, yeah, Madison um, lost his goal to the VAR because apparently he his left toe was in the box when the penalty was being taken, <laughs> um, and then um, so he lost his goal. Vardy got his points between the captain points for Tom, um, and then obviously I lost my clean sheet just at that particular moment in time as well, maddening. And then um, yeah, Sterling offside as well apparently, so I lost all his points. I sold KDB instead of Sterling, so I missed out on the uh, the Bruyne points. Um, bit annoying Uh, but yeah Jimenez got me points but 51 overall for the game week was a bit rubbish to be honest so yeah quite a big um, red arrow down about 70k places to the same same rank as you so uh, yeah same points Um, but yeah you live and learn see what happens next week
2: yeah, exactly. Um, I'm sure that it'll be, uh, it will be. This won't last very long. We're not going to be uh, the same on the same level for, for too long. And uh, yeah, you'll definitely be ascending very, very soon. Right then, let's get into it because we've got a lot to talk about. And the first thing, of course, is to talk about Spurs because we haven't really spoken about them uh, since Poch got sacked and Moo took over. And uh, let's have a few hot takes, I suppose, on on Mourinho and uh, how you guys feel about it. And um, Josh, uh, as a man who's actually working in the field, working in the media now, like that must have been a, a Crazy day, mustn't it? And what's your view on Mourinho and and Spurs at the moment?
0: It was a big day, yeah. Um, I was in Newcastle at the time, actually uh, recording the podcast. Dan way. so I couldn't actually tackle the um, you know content on the topic for a while until the following day. But um, I, I was actually more positive than most when he was appointed. His reputation seems to have really suffered since you know his period at Manchester United, and I I looked at you know the squad objectively. And I think one of the reasons they've really suffered under Pochettino is the squad is no longer as suited to playing such a, a controlling possession game whereby the whole, the whole match is played inside one half of the pitch. Pressing is relentless throughout. And I think Mourinho is maybe not as assertive in terms of the pressing game. And I thought he was, you know, he's, he's quite a short-term-ish type manager who's going to get results immediately. And I just looked at Tottenham's squad and was a bit hopeful as to how it it did seem to suit Mourinho's tendencies in terms of plenty of physical players, plenty of players that are ready to deliver immediately, defenders that are able to soak pressure and, you know, certain things like that. So I I was quite hopeful and certainly the first 17 minutes of the match seemed to back that up for me, really, Um, until, you know, he was a. A period towards the end of the match where I think they conceded two late on, but up, up until that point, they were they were really impressive for me.
3: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was a very very good start. I mean, obviously, as a Spurs fan, I have to say that I was I was quite devastated to see Pogba. It was a bit of a bit of a shock for me. I think me like um, many other Spurs fans weren't really expecting it. I know we're in poor form, but I I'd have thought that his sort of history at the club would have um, put him in good stead. You know, he led us to second with 86 points, got us to a Champions League final last summer and, and four top four finishes in a row, which actually only Manchester City's uh, managed to do over those last four years. So, um, yeah, with Prokka going and Marino joining and, you know, it felt like we were doing a pact with the devil. Levy had done a pact with the devil, bringing in this uh, guy and a few Hail Marys here and there. I don't know, at first I was kind of a bit like, I saw what had happened to Manchester United, his reputation with, you know, insulting the likes of... Um, Luke Shaw and Eva Canero at Chelsea as well and I thought really do I want this guy at the club but I thought his first press conference I was actually quite impressed by him and the way he spoke about the club and the way he spoke about the players and you could certainly see that in the first performance Um, the likes of Hung Min Son obviously and uh, Deli Ali putting in um, consummate performances which starts to make us think actually we could start to look at these players again in, um, in our FPL teams because obviously for a significant uh, period of this season we haven't really looked at the Spurs players at all and I know we've got a few questions on that but I think for now it's certainly all eyes on me.
2: Yeah it certainly is and I think Mourinho the key with him I think is is the fact that for FPL purposes that is. He's so predictable almost. We know that Kane, Son and uh, Ali will almost definitely start every game, uh, which is uh, a little bit of a difference. I mean, Pock was obviously did uh, trust in a few players like Kane, like Son. He was, he, he was flogging those guys. But definitely the case now that things will become a bit more predictable, of the lineups. And as Nick just mentioned, they in FPL become worthy of consideration. So as a segue into the theme for this week, it is upcoming free game weeks in seven days uh, game weeks uh, 14, 15 and 16 are all played out over the course of seven calendar days and of course we can't go through all 20 teams uh, but we're going to pick out some key teams here uh, just for for chat about you know some of their key players and the, the guys you should be looking at perhaps for over the next three and maybe up to the next five up until the blank in game week 18 uh, to start with Spurs then obviously uh, Spurs have Bournemouth at home Man United away and Burnley at home uh, over the, those seven days and uh, We've got a few questions on these, as mentioned. So, Jono Forward and FPL CIS ask, is it Sonic Clock? Matthew Jones asks, which Spurs assets should we be knee-jerking in? And FPL Osmo asks if Nick will get his Ben Davis shrine out again anytime soon. Um, So, Nick, um, I'm sure that really, in terms of this, that there are a few players now blipping on your radar. Who are you interested in going forward, if anyone?
3: I think the main man probably has to be um, Son for now. Obviously, Kane um, leading the line for Spurs. You know, he's the guy that you'd perhaps look at um, outside of FPL. But I feel like his price is still a little bit prohibitive at ten point eight million. And the fact that he's a forward rather than a midfielder, he doesn't really get assists. So you'd only be looking at Harry Kane for goals. And you know, he hasn't been as prolific this season and the last season than he was in 17-18, 16-17 when he got 29 goals so we know that and we talked about it a little bit in the past about Harry Kane's form having dropped off a little bit, whether that will change at the Marina, I don't know, you know, you talk about the whole new manager effect, things being exciting at the club again, um, you know things all being positive at least especially with what the media are saying and then what other FPL managers are saying but i I'm, I'm still remain a little bit of a pessimist, you know, I'd, I'd like to see a few games under the belt, you know, West Ham Let's be honest. They were atrocious. They they played really badly in that game. So you know it might have been just been you know we were quite lucky that was his first game to play against a team that I mean they would lost sort of four or five of the last seven or something. So you know they're in pretty um, pretty shoddy form. So um I'd like to see a few more games, and I think um Bournemouth at home and Manchester United away will be will be tougher tests for Spurs. But I think in terms of the players. Um, Son's probably the one that I would definitely um, look at. He's actually top of the market forces as well. So a lot of people um, are interested in Son in terms of the FPL right now. Well, in terms of the Ben Davis shrine, not quite yet. Um, it's interesting that he got the nod ahead of Danny Rose. Uh, but I've already got Gaza in goal uh, from a personal perspective. And Ben Davis did pick up a knock as well. So maybe down the line um, or some that I might start getting that shrine out. But um, not quite yet at this moment in time. Um, what do you think about Spurs, then, from an FPL perspective, Josh?
0: Uh, I think, for me, there's, there's three players that, that take my fancy at the minute. Um, I think, first of all, obviously, he started with Son. But I think that explains itself, really. I think he's arguably Tottenham's most dangerous player. Um, and he's he's highly suited to, to what Mourinho seems to be intended on doing. I think in his first match, he, he obviously used a 4-2-3-1. Um, but I really picked up on a difference in, in, in the, the style of play really. Um I think under Pochettino, as I said before, certainly in the glory days they would they were inclined to um, build a possession game so that basically the, the opposing team are penned in and then once they're penned in then then you start taking risks on the ball and you start trying things. Whereas I think Magino showed an intent to progress up the field really quickly, basically use the traits of the players at his disposal in you know, Son, Deli Ali, Lucas Mora, all very mobile types of players, and, you know, he's, he's trying to take advantage of that by basically, as soon as you secure possession, play forwards through the lines and move up the pitch very quickly, and, and, and basically, I mean, it's similar to bruce Dorman the way in which Bruce Dorman's attack at the minute, just slow possession play, and then just a, a quick ball straight through the lines, and, and before you know it, you're, you're on the opposing defence, so. I think Son certainly suits that style of play. Deli Alley was another player, obviously, that, that showed up to me. He, he, he seemed to be playing a role that was very similar to, again, what he what, what he was fulfilling on his glory days. Um, He was a number 10. And, you know, rather than drifting away from the, the penalty box, he seemed more inclined to drift towards it. He was making late runs into the box and things like that, linking the play, um, operating on a hard turn. And he just looked, I, I wouldn't say back to his old level just yet but in terms of the role it looked very similar obviously Pochettino had to change things around last season and a little bit the season before as well I think just simply because he he didn't really have a midfield um, That you know the main player in his midfield was Moussa Dembele he was sold and I think Spurs had to go down the route of you know a midfield diamond with just all his best players basically and that resulted in Eriksen's output diminishing Dele's output diminishing and Mourinho seems intent on restoring that for me. Um, and the final player was was a little bit of a risk, but uh, Giorgio, um Obviously, he's a bit he's a bit renowned for being a bit erratic on the ball and things like that. But Mourinho used a 4-2-3-1, as I said. But once possession was secured, it was quite asymmetric the formation. So Aurier advanced up the field as though he was a winger, and then Ben Davis would tuck inside to form. Almost a situational back three, so although Aurier is down as a fullback, yeah, you can see him getting plenty of attacking and returns. If, if this is going to be Mourinho's go through formation from that one. Um, and I think I think he did get an assist on the day as well.
2: Yeah, no, he definitely did do that. I I know saw that as well with Davis basically just providing that kind of solid platform for Son to just use his industry or use his uh, energy to basically roam that flank as far as he wanted. Um in terms of that, uh, Nick getting the, uh, getting the Shrine out, which is a, a, a something that he's done in the past because when, when Ben Davis was a very, very attacking force and um, he was a uh, much beloved, but I think yeah, in terms of that, um, I don't think Ben David's going to be a straight balling up that wing at the moment. I think we're looking at him providing that platform for Son, so maybe not. Um, I think on the, the Aurier point, um, one thing that might be interesting as well is when the Cessignon's fit, because I think that Mourinho's tried to sign him many times as well, if I remember correctly. Uh, so he's finally got the chance to work with him. But uh, in terms of the key players, you're completely right. Like To answer Jono and FPL Scissor's question, um, Son, yeah very suited it seems to Mourinho's game and I'm hoping that the bump with Mourinho and the fact that he's probably going to be playing every game will help him have a whole season so he's had a couple of seasons of disruption hasn't he with South Korea he's never really quite had this kind of Salah season where he's just smashed it all year long it's amazing that it could actually happen under Mourinho Um, but it sounds like he's got to make the best of the lads he has and Son has to be the key there Um, with Kane I think uh, diminishing as an FPL force did get his goal of course but basically the playmaker now isn't he in some ways um, and as you mentioned Ali's looking rejuvenated as well uh, Son up to 9.7 I think he well he is I've bought him so uh, yeah that you can see that I've uh, gone straight back in on him but uh, to him, well, I'm not mad at you I, the door is always open for Son but Ali 8.4 is a very interesting choice as well less than 1% owned before this weekend probably going up a little bit now um, but interesting to see where the stats start and how they go those three games are going to be good ones if you are like Nick and want them to be a testing ground. Yeah, Bournemouth, Man United and Burnley are three games which are quite tasty to see what Mourinho will do against clubs like that. Um, however, I'm kind of a, no, I'm more, I am of was more inclined to jump in on Saturday, which I did. Um, but yeah, it, it, I'm interested to see what will happen with Spurs. But they're definitely kind of a team that... I wouldn't say you have to cover them right now, but it's always good to make the most of a new manager bounce. we saw with Man United last year when Solskjaer came in, ironically, to take over from Mourinho. Let's move on to Liverpool, um, which is always very good to have a scouser on to talk about. Um, so Liverpool's next three—they've got Brighton, Everton, and Bournemouth—and actually up until the up until the blank in game week eighteen, they've got a really nice little run of fixtures. And and actually after that too, so Brighton, Everton, Bournemouth, Watford, Leicester, Wolves, and Sheffield United, um, all the way up until game week twenty-one. Uh, there is that little break in game week eighteen, though, as we mentioned. Um, so we had a few questions on this as well, and. Uh, well, FBL Chancellor, as he always does, set the agenda. He said, We need to tap into Josh's Anfield knowledge. Does Josh see clean sheets ever happening? And is there any clear reason why they haven't happened yet? So, any insight on that, Josh? What's going on? Because we've all had Liverpool defenders for the season. Indeed, we started with a double up, I and mean, we've just not seen those clean sheets come in, even though Robertson and uh, Trent on Arnold have provided attacking returns.
0: It is an interesting one. Uh, I actually wrote the books myself, and I, I actually started. The season with with the double up on Liverpool fullbacks, and if, if you look at the underlying numbers and, and things like that, Liverpool's performance isn't that different. Um, by this stage last season, I think I think we'd faced unexpected goals of about about nine, I think, um, and I think now it's around eleven, so slightly worse off. But if you, if you look at the number of shots that we're taking, I think we're averaging about one more shot per per match, and I think we're facing around around two more as a consequence. So. It looks like the attack's got a bit of a boost, but the defence has taken a little bit of a hit. Having said that last season, despite having unexpected goals faced of about nine, I think we only conceded five. So, you know, we'd really overperformed the, the the expectations really. Allison obviously had a big impact when he first started. And this season we obviously missed Alisson for around I think it was around eight games. And since he's came back in, he hasn't really done anything wrong, but we we are used to Allison. Performing beyond what's expected, he doesn't seem to have done that just yet since returning from injury, which is relatively understandable. But Liverpool is still facing, you know, roughly nine shots per match. Which most of the time, if you're only facing nine shots per match, you're not going to concede a great deal. Looking at Liverpool's upcoming fixtures, I I do think it's a matter of time, and I've, I've been saying it's a matter of time.
2: <laughs> we all have,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Before Liverpool keep, you know, maybe about four clean sheets in a row or so, but. I am quite surprised that we've only kept, I think it's two clean sheets up tonight. would, I can't really explain that one, to be honest. I mean, James Madison, when he scored at Anfield, that was with Leicester's first shot of the match, I think, on the 70th minute. um, When Newcastle scored, that was Jethro Willems from the edge of the box. He will not be able to do that again, if you ask him. Pookie scored a goal that I think, at the time, Alisson would have saved. So, just certain little things like that. Uh, you know, I've been stressing that I don't think it's tend to be concerned about, and I still think Liverpool are, uh, Roughly the best defensive team
3: in the league. Yeah, I remember as well. I think it was Danny Ings' goal. And I think um, certainly in terms of defence, um, a lot of us have been quite heavily punished. I think a number of us went with the double defence at the beginning of the season. I actually, um, I actually fancied Liverpool for a clean sheet in this game. And I took that. Gamble and risk of um, captaining Trent Alexander Arnold, which really didn't work out for me in the end. But, you know, I just, I really like their attacking fullbacks. It, they do offer so much going forward, and it's just really sort of shown in the underlying stats in terms of the, the chances they're creating. And in terms of the defence as well, they have been really unlucky. Just two clean sheets, but they've not conceded more than one goal in any of these games. So it's only 11 goals that they've conceded. And, uh, yeah, 36 shots on target that they've conceded overall, which is um, less than three a game and is um, the the best in the Premier League. I think uh, Chelsea are second with 38 shots conceded on target. So I think, I still feel that with the the Liverpool defence, I mean, to have one is, all, is almost like a hygiene factor, isn't it? But I think Robertson's, um, in terms of picking up those assists, he's actually been slightly outperforming uh, Trent, which has been a bit annoying um, for myself personally. But I think potentially there is a case still for doubling up, especially with the, sort of, the next three or four. You could make a case that they should be able to keep a clean sheet, for instance, in the Brighton at home game. But you can definitely see a sort of an ninth minute Neil Morpay, um goal, consolation goal, of course, because Liverpool will still win. But you can see a, a goal coming, can't you? It's just yeah. inevitable.
2: Yeah, certainly. I mean, it, it, there's parallels with Man City, isn't there? Like last year when they just seemed to concede one big chance every game it's been a bit annoying but I think you know you've got to keep your head up in that regard and just kind of think well if you've got one, I think TAA seems to be the one that most people have. If you've got two in the same vein as Josh just said, it's probably going to come. Hopefully, it is going to come. I mean, obviously, it's Gambler's fallacy to say that it's bound to happen, but equally, it seems to make sense to say that uh, they've been a little bit unlucky, given that that shot volume is very low. And uh, yeah, it's just going to hopefully it will start with Brighton, but it's it's, it's incredibly frustrating, isn't it, seeing that clean sheet go. Um, But yeah, I think that most people will have uh, TAA, at least, at the moment, and I think there's definitely a case to double up, even with, the as Nick mentioned, the attacking output for Robertson as, alongside TAA is just so good that having that kind of double up at the back. It's, it's now just having the two number 10s, isn't it? Because they are the, the creative playmakers for Liverpool. Uh, but moving forward, uh, it's, it's all about Mane and Salah so most people now have Sadio Mane uh, in, in FPL he overtook he's now the same price as Mo Salah he's long overtook uh, Salah in terms of the uh, the ownership and Salah's injuries have, of course have uh, uh, slightly his appeal um, I think I saw something that was at 14% of uh, of live ownership at the moment is, is on Salah which is, is really really low for him uh, Mane as I said a few times is the clutch player for Liverpool He scored 29 goals this calendar year uh, only 20 for Salah and I found the quote from Jurgen Klopp which about what happened with Mane. Uh, He said, we all know he's a world-class player, but now he's started to realise that himself. Uh, He needed more confidence when he came in. And the only criticism I ever had of Sadio was that maybe at times he was the only one not to see just how good he is. So he's quite a humble bloke, isn't he, Josh? And I mean, has it been surprising to you to see how consistent he's become?
0: A little bit, maybe, because I think certainly according to the numbers, Salah's like the ultimate data player, really. I think if if you look at statistics alone, Salah looks like, you know, the investments if you like. But if you actually delve deeper than that, it, it looks like is perhaps more efficient in how he applies his game. Like Salah tends to shoot more, he tends to try more on the on the pitch, basically take more risks on the ball and things like that. But when those don't work, he tends to look bad. He t- you know, he looks he looks worse, he looks a bit more erratic, he looks a bit more unreliable. Um, And he's prone to going through periods Particularly when he's got a knock Such as after the Champions League final When he dislocated his shoulder and he first returned And at the minute he's got a bit of an ankle problem That he's persistent with When that's the case And he's still taking these risks on the pitch He can look really, really reckless Um, Whereas Mane tends to take around a shot less per match As a result he posts lower XG and things like that But if you actually watch him He looks easier on the eye he, the reason he takes of shots seems to be because he makes better decisions on the ball, really. He knows when to shoot and when not to shoot. And as a, as a consequence of that, his conversion rate is generally quite high in comparison to the average player. And as I said, that just stems from he's making the right decisions of when to shoot, when to pass, in comparison to Salah. But, you know, two top players, but at the minute, I agree on, on you know, manny seems to be on top at the minute. And this season, up until about maybe... Five or six weeks ago, this is the first time that I've transferred Salah for Mane. So, and I, and I watch every single minute of Liverpool. So, obviously, they're sitting in that this season.
3: Yeah, it definitely does feel like Mane's um, going from strength to strength. And I've I've always said on the pod that, you know, well, I haven't always said it, but in recent weeks I've said oh, I prefer Mane because he is actually the cheaper option and just going, you know, purely on economics. You know, you can't have both, so why not go for the the cheapest and then you can spend elsewhere. But now they're the same price. And you look at the form that the two players are in. It's, it's a no-brainer really, isn't it? That you, you stick with Mane. Mane is the one that's um, delivering week in, week out in terms of returns. And yeah, he really has stepped up his game in terms of being, you know, uh, potentially, you know, sort of right up there as one of the best players in the world now um, in terms of the performances that he's putting them. Um, Putting in for Liverpool week in week out, and I think from an FPL perspective, he he is the he is the key guy. And obviously, Mo does Mo Salah does have injuries uh, from some respects as well. Um, You know, some people might fancy him because he's also on penalties, which means you know um, he's got more chance of uh, getting a goal if they do take a penalty, as long as James Milner's not on the pitch. And um, you know, some of the underlying stats, he's always said that Mo Salah takes more. More shots than Mane, but as you mentioned, it's got very interesting uh, points you're making there about Mane and you know being a bit more careful on the ball um, when um, taking those um, goal attempts, which is why he's got the better conversion rate of the two. So I think at the moment, I think we're all agreed that the, it's, it's Mane, but you can you can never write off Mousa. You know, two seasons ago he banged in thirty goals, or um, you know was the player of the season. He could easily, could easily come back.
2: All right, cool. Let's move on to uh, Arsenal then. Let's have a little break first though.
3: Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Arsenal. Um, a team of great fixtures, but can we trust them? It's, it's Norwich, Brighton, um, West Ham up next. Thomas the uh, the Arsenal fan here. Um, can we trust Arsenal?
2: No, let's move on. <laughs> it's, a, it's the long and short of it. I mean, uh, we did like, we get a question on this as well. Uh, so Ronan Megan asked, "Is Aubameyang worth holding for the Norwich game?" It uh, was quite a quite a specific one, really. But I think it kind, of, it kind of reflects the fact that Arsenal have degenerated into Aubameyang or nothing. Although, of course, you know you've got um, Lacazette who scored the brace and just about pulled us out of uh, of the mire against Southampton. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I was speaking to I think it's Nate Evans on Twitter earlier on. It's the same. Like it's more of a case of uh, looking at that and thinking well is it going to annoy you to remove Aubameyang and him do something against Norwich obviously he didn't against Southampton and it's just looking like at the moment the team is so dysfunctional it's a bit like Spurs pre-Poc leaving that it just doesn't look like it's worth doing like it's a case of Emery being like me against the world and everybody seems to want him to go I don't see any reason why he's still there um, but at the risk of me going on to an Arsenal round I'm going to cut it short and ask Josh instead what his opinion is of Arsenal should people be looking at them for FBL I'm guessing no I wouldn't advise that. But at the same time, if you all already own Obama Yank,
0: I, I would suggest holding them. That would be my advice on that one. I think in, in terms of trust and Arsenal, they just seem to have gradually, since Wenger's decline and then Wenger's departure, went towards the, the, the football and perspective of you have a goal, we have a goal basically. I think the general objective in most cases, certainly regarding possession of football, is Make sure you take plenty more shots than the opposing team. And if you do, you have more of a chance of winning the match. Currently, you know, Arsenal under Emery and last season as well, they get consistently outshot by the opposing team. Hence why, you know, they, they, so many matches are in, are in a state of flux for the large majority. Um, and hence why they become reliant on quality players such as Aubameyang. But just looking at Arsenal's current fixtures, have got Norwich and West Ham inside the next three games. For me, they're the two worst defensive teams in the league. Although people will have been inclined to look at Southampton and think that that will have went down a similar use. For me, that you know that's not the case. I think there's a saying in boxing styles make fights, and I think that's the same in football. I think Southampton have a style that's relatively suited to playing Arsenal, just because of you know Hasenhold's game and things like that, and how that matches up with maybe the mistakes that Arsenal have. In the deeper areas of the pitch, and I think Norwich in particular are just a really, really open team. West Ham are the same. West Ham tends to face consistently clear cut shots. So he's a player, considering how good he is in and around the box, he's a player that'd be inclined to hold if if I already had him, which I, which I don't.
3: Yeah, I think I'd agree with you there. I think Arsenal, at the moment, they're a hold club. If you've got one of the two forwards, then Lacazette being the other one, I know a couple of people took a punt on him and he obviously got that brace. you own him, then definitely hold for the Norwich game, Brighton, West Ham. Next three, really nice fixtures for Arsenal. Um, the defence, I wouldn't go near the defence at the moment. I wouldn't trust them at all um, to keep any clean sheets. I think they're actually... Um, they're right up there in terms of goal attempts conceded over the course of the season. I think they've got the second worst defense in that regard. Um, so yeah, so far this season. So I think yeah, the defense seems really shaky. But the attack, I mean, there's there's not really any midfielders to talk about in terms of FPL. But the attack, Lacazette and Aubameyang, those are the two guys. But with um, you know, the likes of Vardy and Jimenez and even um, even Rashford. Um, And Abraham, obviously, as well, putting in good performances week in, week out um, for slightly cheaper as well. I wouldn't be looking at those guys right now, personally, even with the the really nice fixtures. But um, moving on to a team that have been in in really good form uh, defensively and offensively, Leicester. Um, Have you um, had Leicester players in your team this year, Josh? You you tripled up. Um, What do you think of Leicester um, in terms of their next fixtures and uh, their performances this season? Currently doubled
0: up on Leicester, so I have Vardy and I have Son as well. I think they're certainly the fourth best team in the league for me. We the the overperforming, which I'm sure you're aware of. I'm sure that's a a common sort point that I do often see. But even their standard normal level, even if they do regress to what you would label as the mean, they are still for me the fourth best team in the league. And you know, there's, there's plenty of questions regarding Jamie Vardy too, whether he's overperforming and things like that, which he is. But you know, once you delve into the reasons why, it becomes apparent that it's maybe not entirely sustainable, but there's a reason behind why he's, why he's overperforming to this extent. Because he's only taken two shots a match, roughly, which isn't a great deal. But if you consider how clear-cut those chances are, you're going to outperform your XG. For example, if he gets a clear-cut chance during a match, that's relatively easy to score. That chance will still only have an XG of roughly about 03 So if you get two of those in a match, you've got a next year of about 0.6. But if you score both of those, you've got two goals. So just in that single match, you've overperformed your XP by about 1.4. And he consistently seems to be doing things like that, hence why he's overperforming as a whole. For me, I wrote about it today. I'll I'll, I'll give it a retweet when I get back on Twitter. Um, But he, he seems to be the man for Leicester who is literally doing nothing other than finishing moves. Um that's that's literally all he's doing. Mm-hmm. Um I had a look at in Europe top five leagues, seventy strikers about just over a thousand minutes. And I think he's second bottom for passes paying ninety. He's just not engaging in the build up. But he's the type of player to once the move gets to its climax, that's when he gets involved, hence why he's such an output player.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and he's perfect for FPL, isn't he, in that regard? Um, I looked at uh, a few of the numbers around him, and yeah, it's a 39% conversion rate at the moment, uh, which is really, really good. Um, or well, very, very high as well. Um, and to your point, he actually had a uncharacteristically high number of shots in the last game six against Brighton, uh, which really helped uh, even out that number a little bit, but yeah, it's, it's crazy at the moment. And uh, as you said, um, Vardy is. Just been charged by Rogers to finish, hasn't he? Um, he's basically the last day Michael Owen uh, in his prime um, to some extent because that's all he's interesting. That's all he's doing. He's not part of the build up, is he? And that's why he's also a bonus hog in FBL because he doesn't do anything except, except score. And he only has, what, as you said, he says got two chances a game. I think that's definitely true. We've long noted that. Just for whatever reason, the, this year, well, for whatever reason, probably under Brendan Rogers and the system he's playing, the quality of the chances is just so high that. But if he takes two shots, scores them both, then you've got loads of points plus bonus. Add on top of that penalties and you've got a really high XG plus a lot of points. Um, I think we see every year a lot of masochistic people when this sort of thing happens, when a form player emerges like this, when obviously there's a few flashes in the pan. But when you see a form like this emerges, there's people who say, oh, we'll never, it'll never keep going. We'll never keep going. But like, you know, after a while, especially when we're at this point, when Vardy has done a lot of damage, to people who don't own him, you've got to be thinking, why'd you do this to yourself? Like, why, why'd why you go through that? I mean, Nick, you're a man who bought Vardy in last week, but you didn't captain him. What was the reason behind that? Like, surely it was worth uh, putting the armband on Vardy and just kind of thinking, well, let's just run with it.
3: Yeah, maybe. I think obviously, you know hindsight's a, a wonderful thing um it could have paid off it didn't unfortunately again you know, it, was, it was second half goal and quick assist uh, uh really did the business against me and again if that penalty hadn't been uh, varged then uh, it might have been another story so um yeah obviously at least uh, you know I brought the guy in I didn't punish myself it wasn't masochistic as you put it and, and decide not to transfer him in I think we've covered Leicester the Pretty much in depth, obviously. You know the defence as well. Worth considering, like Ben Chilwell putting some really. um I know you've brought him in, haven't you, Tom? Actually, Ben. Yeah, I
2: have yeah. I mean, I yeah. wish I could have got Ricardo. Actually, he's he's outscoring M- Madison and Telemans at the moment. Obviously, there was that little flourish earlier on, but yeah, you know, I really like Ben well. I think he's basically a, a cover for the, for those attackers. I mean, Telemans was pretty uh, pretty anonymous uh, in the last game, but, um, but Madison, yeah, always looks good. But I, I'm, just, I'm just not convinced by him. But anyway, we we have spoken about them to death. Um, another team we have spoken about to death is of course Chelsea. And um, the next two, as particularly, are incredibly juicy. West Ham at home, as Josh mentioned, they are oh. one of the First defences, one of the bottom two defences in the league, and Aston Villa at home, and Everton away. Lots of chat about him this week because obviously Mason Mount was uh, didn't play against Man City. Uh, the Athletics said that um, Lampard had chosen to go the steal of Jorginho, Kante and Kovacic against uh, Man City to try to counter their uh, threat through the middle, which kind of makes sense. But obviously, loads of FPL managers have taken that as a flimsy pretext to drop him. Uh, it makes a lot of sense, to be honest, if you are going to try to rush on Son or something like that. I didn't choose to. I chose to keep Mount. And, I mean, I looked at re- I looked at him over the last six. He's been starting all right. Um, he's fair for shots amongst midfielders so he's had more shots than Madison actually over the last six uh, but he's not very good for chance to create with only eight but he's been eclipsed by a couple of his uh, midfield comrades. Uh, Willian is top for both shots uh, and chances created over the last six in the analog stats. Um, and Pulisic is uh, second for XGI amongst mids in the expected ones. And he's had more shots on the box than Willian as well. A very, very selfish player in the Mane mould is quite good. Um, so, Josh, where are you with the, the Chelsea boys? And we'll come on to Abraham in a minute, who I'm guessing is just a huge hygiene factor for everybody. What's your setup with them and how do you view them overall?
0: Overall really impressed with Chelsea. They're doing a lot better than I initially expected. Um obviously they're getting a few good results, but if you look beneath the surface, you know the results are very much deserved. What I've just mentioned earlier about dominating your opponents in regard to the shot count, Chelsea seem to be doing that most weeks, posting a really high XG, whereas on the defensive side, posting very low. So their their results do seem reliable. I mean for me they're comfortably the third best team in the league. I currently only own Sammy Averham. I did own Mason Lang earlier in the season. I actually owned him for when he scored against Norwich, so that was good. But a week later when I, I used my wild card so he he wasn't part of my plans moving forward. But he, he's a player that I have had my eye on since and he's a player that I would advise people to keep simply because he is inclined to score, he is inclined to be involved high up the field. The one aspect to his game that he doesn't really seem to have is a real creative passing elements to his game but he, he seems to balance that out certainly in FBL terms because you know he, he takes set pieces and things like that so he's a really useful player to have in, in terms of owning certain Chelsea players whether it's in defence perhaps less so the midfield simply because I think the players in the midfield area for Lampard with the exception of Mounts I think they're less inclined to score and then you look at the attackers for me they are as I said the, the third most reliable team in, in the Premier League
3: yeah, they have been very impressive. And yeah, we've, we've certainly seen a change in them. Um, I remember at the beginning of the, the summer, a lot of people were writing off Chelsea because of the Transurf. Band ban and losing their talisman in Eden Hazard, but uh, Lampard sort of worked wonders from some of the uh, the young players that really emerged this season. That perhaps a little bit unexpected in the preseason, um, like the guys from the Championship, Mountain, Abraham, who sort of become staples in our in our FPL teams this season. And I think you know we, we're even talking now about the likes of um, Tammy Abraham even getting the armbands perhaps this this game week, uh, primarily because of that poor West Ham performance, but not just because of that, but because he's been a solid um, FPL pick this season. He's he's now got 10 goals to his name to assist even in sort of running for the golden boot. Perhaps um, no one would have really predicted that, I guess, at the beginning of the season. So, um, yeah, I really like Abraham... Um, I think he's he's really starting to be like one of the key players this season, it seems. And Mason Mount as well. And it was disappointing. They didn't start against Manchester City, but it was a it was a tactical decision based on the opponents that they were playing. So, um, you know, I'd expect him to to be back in that team. And I I don't think I. I can really sell him or look to sell him at this particular moment in time, especially with this fixture. I think he'll be an um, important player. I think, obviously, uh, um, william who, who Tom mentioned earlier, really performing well in the underlying stats as well, having a great season, and, and uh, Pulisic as well. With, uh, he's uh, also performing brilliantly as well. Um, you know, a bit of a slow start. um, looked like Callum Hudson doy might actually be um, the man in the uh, starting eleven, but Pulisic really starting to, to show his um, talent that everyone
2: knew he had. Yeah, certainly. a 39 points, I think it is, in the last four. That's, that's pretty crazy, especially if you jumped on him for that. And to a 12.9% owned, so the ownership is ratcheting up. But you know, nevertheless, as I mentioned earlier, a very selfish player and one that is is a godsend, really, for a lot of FPL managers. I wish I could fit him in, but I'm going to stick with Mount for now and hope what Josh said was true, that he's going to get those goals. Um, but yeah, I mean, if I own Pulisic this week, I'd certainly be looking at captaining him over Abraham I do love Abraham. I think I think he will get manband this week, just bad West Ham. Are um, interesting uh, parallel actually between Abraham and Vardy uh, at the start of the season. Uh, Tammy's uh, conversion rate was thirty nine percent as well. between game one and six, but it's a bit lower now. It's seventeen percent the last six. He's fifth for XGI and um, having overperformed ex- assists, but he's not been particularly good for XG over the last few. Um, I can kind of understand why, though, to some extent. I mean, they have played Man City, and I think that you know, the, the good times are going to roll again. Opening. And yeah, I think he's going to be the guy's captain. Um, I mean, at the back, you've still got Tamori, for example, but I think there's a bit more more of a moot point and, you know, double or even triple Chelsea attack going forward is going to be pretty key I think. A couple of other teams to look at quickly, a couple who are perhaps a bit unfashionable as well Uh, So, so Southampton, uh, fresh from uh, frustrating and almost nicking a victory against Arsenal, uh, have Watford, Norwich and Newcastle and indeed this is their uh, purple patch of fixtures really. Um, They've got quite a nice run um, up until game week 18. um, After the Newcastle game they play West Ham at home, Villa away, uh, Chelsea away in 19 and then Crystal Palace at home again. And, uh, in game week 20 so a, a nice little run there for Southampton I don't think there's any players in, in FPL with And who are particularly useful apart from Danny Ings uh, Danny Ings 12 shots in the box 5 big chances 2 goals in the last 5 a massive 67% goal involvement for them uh, so he is obviously the talisman um, but I mean it, it does seem to be Ings or bust, doesn't it unless uh, Gineppo does turn into the, uh, the new Sardio Mane right Josh it doesn't seem like Southampton are going to be of interest to us
0: no, I mean, generally, especially with attacking side players, you would like to pick those players that are, you know, playing the teams that are generally quite reliable on the attacking side. I'm not sure Southampton are. Uh, Danny Ingers has always been quite an interesting player, though, because he's always been inclined to get good shots in good areas of the pitch. Um, he's got quite a poaching instinct about him, very alive in the penalty area. Um, it's just a case of a he doesn't really have the fitness to play week in, week out, the full ninety minutes. I think Abraham's actually a little bit like that. And B, he's as I said, he's not really in a dominant team, so he's not gonna he's not guaranteed consistent chances week in, week out. Yeah, I suppose he's quite cheap, but I think, especially considering the level of output delivered by the current strikers in the Premier League at the minute. I think
3: Danny Ings is going to be, you know, quite low on the pecking and order. I think Danny Ings, at least in the next few, if you own him, he's one of those players that you would fancy. Looking at Southampton's next three, but also the next five, you could fancy him to to get a few goals in those games. So, you know, I think in terms of the cheaper alternatives in the forward line, when you look at that price range, he's he's the standout pick, really, in, in comparison with the, some of the other guys at that same price, like um, Wesley and Morpay. I think outside of Danny Ings I think he's the only person that we can really talk about uh, when it comes to Southampton there aren't really any other options
2: unfortunately yeah no no, definitely not I think there's three point seven percent owned Danny Ings um, so you know maybe the scope there to be a differential and um, the only thing is the FPL general always says that he's a guy who's massively injury prone so I mean do you want to buy a player in who's basically a hospital pass waiting to happen Danny Ings is made of glass so you know he's going to fall over and shatter a toenail or something and he'll be out for weeks and weeks and weeks at, at some point soon um, if you're willing to take that risk and move, and lean into it, then go for it. I think it's, it's quite a nice little differential with, given those numbers and the fixtures to come and the XGI being so high, if Southampton score, you've got a very good chance of uh, Dan Yings being involved. But yeah, um, I, I'd be a little bit reticent on them. And one final team to speak about here are
3: Crystal Palace. Um yeah, Crystal Palace and another team with some pretty decent fixtures. Burnley, Bournemouth, Watford, next three, and after that they've got Brighton, Newcastle. Another team though, where there's you know, there's not too many options that you're looking at from an FPL's perspective, I guess. The only thing that's worth highlighting again is is the good value that they offer. Um Zaha's obviously been very absent this season, only showing up to frustrate our Liverpool clean sheets with his first goal of the season um, at six point six million as would be Um, inevitable with Zaha Um, but then there's a few other really cheapies that are worth talking about perhaps briefly Jordan Ayew at 5.1 million um, he's got four goals to his name Um, an even cheaper um, option if you're looking at sort of like a third forward that can sort of rotate with um, sort of a four man or five man back line then Jordan Ayew's your man and uh, and Martin Kelly as well in the team at the moment only 4.1 Million, no, um, he actually no, sorry, he only played twenty minutes in the last game, so uh, not not too great from that perspective. And but yeah, I don't know what you think about uh, Crystal Palace. Are you are you found their players, or you're not too sure about them from an FPL perspective.
0: Yeah, uh, I think defensively possibly, but on the attacking side, certainly not. No, I think they're possibly the worst attacking side in the league at the minute. Um, I'm not exactly sure now, but certainly before this weekend, they've taken the fewest shots in the league. I think it was about six six fewer than Sheffield United. I think I think Hodgson's just very middle of the road, very safety first. And I think looking at those upcoming fixtures, perhaps Burnley and perhaps Watford, I can envisage those being very, very tight, perhaps two clean sheets. But on the attacking side, as I said, just because of those numbers and how cautious the team are, I just wouldn't have enough faith in in the team as a unit to be able to attack so that a player can can post certain returns. So although both the the has relatively cheap. Palace as a unit, as i said, just aren't reliable enough to rely on attacking with Saints
2: yeah certainly I mean I, you're right at the back I mean there is kind of some interest there you know have got the old warhorse Gary Cahill for example 4.5 could be of interest to people uh, dear Mamasako could be another guy who's of interest to people but you know I can pitch me rolling maybe of Zaha but you no know, I mean I, I share your cynicism on him I know James from Planet FPL is, is quite interested but you know, one goal in 14 games as usual looking okay in the stats a decent number of pen box touches and my issue really is the player's head like does he really want to be there uh, apart from a goal this week and a pen assist in game week 10 versus us, like when you've got chambers to pull him down, is there anything sparking me other than price and fixtures? Uh, no, not really. Um, fixtures do beget form though, sometimes, as, as we know. So it could be the case that he's of interest um, if he does start to pull it out and become the uh, palace's talisman in terms of going forward. So the goals have to come from somewhere, they can't come from you know James McArthur getting a lucky goal every now and again or the defence uh, scoring. But yeah, I, I think he's one to watch and wait on for me, it's not want to dive in on right now but I completely understand again the other side of it when you take a risk of a player like that and a player who at the back end of last season was it was incredibly good for them and keeping them up I mean if they do hit relegation trouble who knows maybe we'll see uh, Zaha come back to life especially if the shop window starts to open around January sort of time Um, but yeah it's it's not really a, a a club which is of uh, particular interest so um, overall hopefully that was useful and hopefully over the next three um, you'll really flourish as FPL managers as the uh, onslaught of games uh, starts to take off All Right, let's take a break there and move on to the features who got the assist who got the assist Hello, so we're back and it's time for the feature section now. It's a bit of a shorter one this week because obviously all of the top bit was uh, very, very good and uh, took a bit of time. And also we've got an interview with the, the man himself, uh, Nick Stad. Uh, but first it's the market forces. Uh, Nick, you're the man across numbers. What's going on in the FCO economy this week?
3: So people are still looking at Jamie Vardy, those that have uh, missed out on his returns, those that decided not to get him in for the Brighton game, have seen another 12-point haul and just think, God, bring in this guy. Everton at home, up next. Still a really nice round of fixtures after that. Watford, Aston Villa, Norwich. Um, definitely captain material in all three of those games. So uh, Vardy, the most attractive man um, at the moment in terms of the market forces. Perhaps not on the pitch, but in the market forces, he's leading the way. Um, yeah, scored five games in a row. Can he break his record from the other season back? I don't know. But Vardy, most um, in player right now. Uh, but Son isn't too far behind him at all, actually. He um, could easily overtake him. He's only 2,000 transfers behind, with 156,000 transfers in so far for, for Son. Son's um, scored or assisted in the last four games, um, You know, showing some really good form. Now it looks like a revitalised and refreshed Spurs, so um, a lot of people looking at the Bournemouth at home game that's up next for Son, thinking I want to get this guy in, and uh, yeah, very attractive um, for managers. Uh, the players being sold though, Agüero, one hundred seventy-five thousand transfers out. He's got an injury, so um, a few people are looking at Jesus online as well. But um, yeah, Agüero being sold heavily, people perhaps transferring him out for Vardy, uh, Sterling as well, attracting lots of sales. Um, over 100,000 for him. That's three blanks in a row. Um, owners feeling a little bit grieved, obviously, about losing that last minute goal, but his price is probably proving a little bit prohibitive for some FPL managers. But Newcastle way up next. we'll have a question on him in a little bit. Other players been transferred in. Uh, Soyonsu, 80,000 transfers in for him, and Jimenez, um, 80,000 transfers in uh, for him as well. What, what do you think about Jimenez, Josh?
0: A little bit surprised at how Wolves are doing. To be honest, I, I envisage them having some issues, maybe, simply because of, well, largely the Europa League in comparison to their actual squad. They haven't got quite, they haven't really got the squad to, to deal with two competitions like that, was my perspective. um, But they do seem to have coped relatively well. He's not a player that I've particularly delved into a, a great deal, but, you know, I, I know Wolves has taken an upturn recently. Again, they're a similar side in terms of not being wholly reliable in terms of attacking the Saints, just because they they are largely defensive team. They, they soak a lot of pressure and then counter attack. Be, beyond Traore, who's a differential option himself. I think there's you can't really look beyond him and so he's almost you know guaranteed to to deliver the large majority of Wolves' outputs if they do get solid solid results, which they seem to be doing at the minute.
2: Yeah, certainly the the talisman uh, for wolves there uh, is. Anyway, um, and uh, yeah, elsewhere just to cover that off, uh, Puletich's been brought in by seventy five thousand people and uh, sold. Uh, Mason Mount seventy almost eighty thousand managers have uh, passed ways of Mason, and finally Josh King, who I'm surprised is, is still in squads, has been sold by sixty one thousand managers who have finally seen enough of him. Right, and the final thing this week uh, we're not doing the others is uh, a quick Dad Watch interview, a little bit of a, a little bit of a special feature. So earlier on. This this week Nick sat down with the man himself Ian Harris and asked him what's the secret to success this season? So for our hashtag dad watch section we are joined by the man himself Ian
3: also known as FPL novice. Uh, you can't find him on Twitter but if you ever want to speak to him directly feel free to send me a message and I can act as a relay for the comms. Uh, so to provide some background this is my dad's first year playing FPL and he has smashed it from the start. Great couple of opening weeks helped with the likes of Owning Mane and KDB from Game Week 1 meant that he actually had a 3K overall rank from the end of Game Week 2, something I've never had myself. He's also managed to keep up the pace as well, uh, since by captaining Vardy uh, week in, week out, unlike myself, and has also had a five-man defence the last few Game Weeks, including likes of uh, Diego Rico and Lewis Dunk, meaning that he's uh, still up there at the top around overall rank 40K at this moment in time. So uh, what's the secret to his success? Is there any secret at all? I've asked a man himself. (laughs) Uh, So, Dad, thanks for joining me to talk with our listeners. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me on your show. So um, do you want to give a little bit of background, I guess, in terms of your FPL experience and how you're finding the season so far?
1: Well, I first looked at FPL when you mentioned it to me a couple of years ago. And all I did was go on there and do an auto selection, I think it's called, and got a team and then did nothing for the rest of the season. Uh, Last season, I had a zombie team and did nothing with that obviously because that's the rules and this is the first time I've actually tried to play the game properly ever since you set me up with a a pretty good team at the start. Excellent. So um, what kind of tactics do you generally deploy I guess in terms of making the decisions within your team? Well, the thing is Nick that I know very little about it. So I have to use simple tactics So I really watch and see how how I think the players are doing from a number of points perspective, and that's about it. Remember, I haven't watched a single football match this season, so I can't sort of judge very well how these players are doing in the real world, only in the sort of stats and uh, numbers game. So it's... A little bit of luck then, I guess, and just mainly just purely looking at the numbers for it, the players. It's looking at the numbers and it's thinking, well, hold on a second. Is this a random assist or does it look as though they've actually got a couple? And then I might select them on that basis.
3: Okay. And um, so who's been, who's been your standout performance this um,
1: season so far and who's been the most disappointing for you? I made an error. And that was when I started to get on the Puki bandwagon and the Norwich bandwagon. I think in my heart of hearts, when I was actually buying them, I kind of felt, and this might be hindsight, I thought, well, this can't go on forever and I'm jumping on too late. And to be frank, those are the two worst decisions that I've made this season so far. So certainly in terms of of getting things wrong, um, going with Norwich was wrong um, for me. So backing Norwich in a big
3: way didn't work out in the end? Didn't work out at all. Okay and uh, what have you learned
1: from that then? Well I think really the focus for me has been primarily on team so I think going forward I think I'm going to be looking more at team rather than individuals. There's a few individuals that stand out and everyone knows who they are and everyone seems to have them in their teams Um, but then I had a tactic for a while where I was thinking what I would actually do is diversify across a whole number of, a number of different players and different teams and that failed for me. So at the moment I'm thinking of actually concentrating just on what I would call quality teams. Um, teams are in the top five, top six of the league. So that's the plan for the rest of the season then. Um, you're not going to
3: stick with what's working. You're going to take a few more risks maybe to try and bolster your status at yeah. the top? Or... The,
1: no. the whole process is driving me absolutely potty because the more, the higher you get, the harder it is to stay higher. So although over the last couple of game weeks I've been scoring reasonably well and yeah, beating the average by quite a reasonable number of points, I've actually had a couple of uh, red arrows and that is, that is absolutely driving me potty. So I need to do something about that um, but I don't want to become too defensive, so I want to hold on to my position. But I'd, you know, I also want to really um, i have ambitions for trying to get into the top 25k, top 10k, um, which I think will be a pretty stretch for somebody who knows very little about this. You're doing all right at the moment,
3: you just need to continue to do what you're doing because it seems to be working um, much better than the. Some of our listeners, and uh, myself and Tom as well, who are a little bit behind you right now, but not, not too far behind. Uh, slowly hopefully, catching up, maybe. We'll have to see. So, yeah, we've had some questions from the community as well. Um, who are very interested in the uh, hashtag watching and what's been going on over the course of the season. Um, lots of feedback on Twitter we've had to the, the regular sections. Um, we've had a question from DJ Nuiton, at Nuiton underscore DJ, and he's asked, have you started to feel
1: pundit pressure yet? Uh, perhaps with your newfound fame from the pod? (laughs) Well, uh, I don't have fame um, But um, I think the thing is that it is a stressful game. It's actually changed my Saturday, which has surprised me Especially when it starts at half past 12 and then doesn't finish to almost 7 or (laughs) 8 o'clock at night It does mean to say that I am spending an awful lot of the time with my screen open and almost living in a parallel universe where the real world is going on around me and inside my head I'm actually watching FPL and sometimes I accidentally yeah. skip from one to the other.
3: Well, I think you've noticed that with me for a long time now, that I'd come over on a Saturday for a family day and you're saying, what the hell are you still on your phone? What are you looking at? What's going on? And i be looking at
1: scores and everything, and now you've, you've uh, got that same addiction that I've got. So I know, and it's really random, because sometimes I get things that suddenly come out accidentally, so I might be sitting there and I might say, Vardy assists, and people think, well, what are you, you, know, what are you saying? And I think, well, I'm supposed to be asking if I'm having a cup of tea, and the wrong answer comes out. Well, exactly. I remember
3: the other day when Lewis Dunn got that yellow card, and you, you swore quite loudly in the lounge, and you got, got told off by uh,
1: my mum, so it was quite funny. Well, I didn't realise that had happened, so it was just... <laughs> So it is. It is strange. It is. It is ridiculously addictive, and I'm kind of determined to do pretty well at it if I can. Um, and the other thing that happened, absolutely stupid, really, I wanted to captain Manet for um, for a week, and I thought I had, but I haven't pressed save the team, and he came through that week, and it's cost me ten points, and I literally spent the night tossing and turning about the cost of those points and it's just it's
3: ridiculous I, I feel like we've all been there before I do remember a couple of seasons ago where uh, I was at a party and I was sorting out my Crystal Palace goalkeeper because I had a double up and I can't remember if it was Hennessy and per- um, Spironi were involved maybe a Peroni as well was involved at the party but I accidentally transferred out the wrong goalkeeper and then in the warm-up Hennessy got injured and uh, Spironi came on the pitch and got an 11-pointer. And then I ended up with zero goalkeeper for that game week as well because I think I had uh, Rob Elliott as my other one who wasn't playing.
1: And, uh, yeah, I was absolutely fuming about that because it cost me 11 points. I know, it's ridiculous and it's, um, it's hard to explain if you're feeling a bit grumpy because of your result. It just seems absolutely ridiculous. But, um, yeah, so it has, it has got under my skin a bit. I don't know if I'm going to do it next year. I'm going to do it this year as well as I can. Um, but I might do something different. I'm not sure if I'm addicted or it's just a, a, a passing phase. Oh uh, yeah,
3: um, Definitely, I think you've probably got the addiction and have to play next year. And some more questions. We've got FPL Kazza. He's asked, um, how did you pick your original squad? How do you decide your transfers? Uh, for instance, he's interested in particular with your Endonka to Huyberg yeah. this, uh, decision. That was to do with team
1: coverage, was it, at the time? Um, yeah, just irrational behaviour. I was quite cross because I looked at Donclar. I don't think he's scored anything for the last two or three game weeks, and Which I just to start really then. Don't no, so it. I just I just looked him. I was just cross, and I actually did that. I just did it as a sort of knee, a knee-jerk reaction, and absolutely <laughs> at the time I was playing a strategy of trying to have as much coverage. There have seemed to be very few clean sheets coming through, um, so I got it in my head that it would be quite sensible to have coverage to get to get as many clean sheets as possible because they seem fairly random. Fair enough. He's also
3: asked you, did you find FPL stressful or fun like us addicts? I think you've sort of half covered that already.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, it's it's a sort of toxic mix of both, isn't it, really? Yeah, exactly. You get the highs and you also get the lows and and the stresses involved. I'd like us both to get top 10k. I'd like to win the blooming thing. I don't think that's possible, but um, I'd like to do pretty well at it. uh, I think that's everyone's objective, isn't it? Uh, I don't think I can sit here and say that I know an awful lot about um, football because I don't. No, mm. I don't know. And um, you, know, you know far more than me. I mean, I actually make some pretty rational decisions, which surprises me because I thought that because I don't actually, I'm not invested in the game in the sense that I don't actually have a team that I support. I wouldn't recognize some of the players if they came and spoke to me on the street. Um, certainly, I think a couple that you put in initially, I haven't a clue who they are or who they play for. Well, I know who they play for now, but certainly at an international level, I wouldn't know. I'm not overly invested. And I think that actually helps. And then suddenly, I feel empathetic towards a player or cross with a player, and I make a rash decision, which surprises me. Um, and I do things, uh, do things that I think Tom described my last move as a rookie error, which I think is probably kind
3: Thanks very much um, for joining us for this uh, special hashtag Dad Watch interview. I hope the listeners found it useful as well, and perhaps uh, caught a little bit of wisdom. Perhaps if you if you shared any wisdom at all, I don't know. Perhaps in terms of uh, the secret to your success, which uh, many of our listeners were very keen to try and. Identify so they can emulate you in terms of your performance this season. but Sounds like a little bit of luck, perhaps a little bit of um, skill as well. I mean, you have made some very good decisions. Vardy, I thought it was
1: you know, quite smart getting on him earlier. Yeah, that was a good decision, but gonna, I recognise the name. And as I say, because I don't actually have um, any um, emotional attachment, I am driven completely by the numbers. So I wouldn't just not choose Vardy because I don't like him or I don't i don't really know much about so it kind of i think that helps so i think almost it's that ignorance that it might be the secret to my success if there is any secret or any success i'm not sure no worries so thanks thanks for joining us for
3: this uh, special edition thank you Bye. Okay? you're welcome you
2: got the assist who got the assist
3: So we're back and it's uh, time to catch up with the Who Got This? This mini-league, if you want to join the league, the league code is EIKX03. And it's still being updated at the moment, so um, we're not going to do a full update this week. But just a a quick shout-out to... uh, the standalone um, runaway winner right now, which is Kieran Screeton, um, he got 78 points this um, game week, another really good score for him, game week rank of 72,000, Vardy captain really doing the business for him, We've also got the likes of Pope and Manet and uh, De Bruyne and um, Jimenez and Robertson etc, just all getting in points week in, week out, overall rank now 41st for him. So. Uh, so well done, Kieran. Great performance this season. And uh, yeah, um, we also got our um, FPL Christmas party in association with Fancy Football Hub on the 13th of December. Always a really good event. Um, lots of people went last year, had a good summer party as well. So plenty of managers and stuff to meet up and have a chat and have a little bit of a drink as well. So it should be really good fun. And that's at the uh, Milobones Sports Bar and Grill in London. We'll be there from 6pm.
2: Yeah, definitely clear your diaries for that one. Okay, so questions for this week, and as we've answered already a boatload of them before, and it's going to be a little bit shorter. Uh, but to jump in straight away, and again, kind of sticking with Liverpool, just because Josh's on the pod to some extent. It's blanktastic. Uh, FPL Osmo asks if we should start planning for the blank now in game week 18 with regards to Liverpool assets. So because of the uh, Club World Cup, uh, there's no um, the Liverpool versus West Ham fixture has been rearranged to a later double game week, which means that most people uh, may be having that on their horizon now in just five game weeks time. But you know, Josh, should we be, you know, overlooking Liverpool assets because of that blank, or do you think the fixtures for the for the time being, as we spoke about a little bit earlier, are just so good that that should just not be a consideration. You should be getting
0: Liverpool in. There's two ways of looking at that one. You can you can play safe and plan ahead and uh, gradually get rid of the Liverpool players or you can look to almost almost bring them in as different rentals, if you like because players will be inclined to to start moving them out. Um that is, I suppose, the way that I'm, I'm going because my plan for this week was to bring in Robertson alongside Trent, who I already have in my team. But I'm a little bit stumped as to whether to do that simply because of the whole Gabriel Jesus uh, thing. Uh, I'm not sure what I'll do regarding that. But I think if, if I was... I mean, my advice would be to to keep Liverpool players up until as long as... You can, and then maybe for when they actually do go to, I think it's in Qatar. Maybe plan it so that you've got two free transfers, so that you can you can move them out. Then that's certainly that's certainly gonna be my plan if I if I do bring in Robertson. Um, but yeah, that's a tricky one. That one.
3: Yeah, I think for me, I'm probably gonna just stay with the double up for now. I, I was tempted by the triple up for quite a while. I was tempted by. Bringing in the likes of Robertson or or something along those lines, but I just don't think it's working for my team. My setup's already pretty decent, to be honest, for this game week anyway. With Black line of Trent um, Lundström and Tamori, and I don't know if I can take any more of the defensive double up and the, the loss of those clean sheets as well. So, I think for me, I'm, I'm quite happy with just having um, Trent and Mane. Uh, for the next game week and if I'm not going to bring one in um, this game week I, I don't think I will do for the Everton derby and then you're only talking about two games for the blank as well so you know there's plenty of other teams that we've talked about earlier on in the pod with good fixtures over that period of time so perhaps um, just two Liverpool players is um, enough for me I think for the short term at least.
2: Yeah, I, I think m- much like both of you, and like like you, Josh, I was looking at Robertson this week, but, you know, things do change in this game. There are We do go through changes very, very often, and uh, the, the, there's a case to be loyal to the game and just kind of think, okay, you've got to f- prioritise the short term. Like, as you said, every, people are going to be maybe overlooking Liverpool, so having three is maybe a huge differential for you, a nice little Hail Mary, but... I think the fact is there's an abundance of other options. The likes of Chilwell, as Nick mentioned, the likes of Tamori, um, who cost a lot less and probably can do a decent job over the next four and don't have a blank um, coming up. I can see both sides of that argument having merit and having credit to them uh, for me I was looking at Robertson pretty strongly he was penciling to come in this week but I've gone another way just because things have changed and uh, Son uh, suddenly became what I wanted um, but yeah it, it's, it's one, it is it's one of those where it just very much depends on your play style like are you going to be kind of looking to kind of maximise those Liverpool players because as Josh said earlier on those clean sheets surely are on the way so if you get the double up if, even if you go for Mane and Salah you may see that happening they're going to be grinding out results over the next few tough question I think at the moment, um, given what we know, five game weeks out is looking like the double up is where we are. But Josh, you mentioned a minute ago about um, Jesus uh, being of interest to you, and it's loosely related to the next question, which is to pie off Raz. So FBL Vader asks us if the time has come to finally move Sterling on and this question was asked before uh, Kun Aguero um, was ruled out by Pep for quite a while I think he's going to miss the Manchester derby for example so he's out for quite a long time and the suggestions of course that Jesus and uh, Sterling do very well together there was a tweet put out by the official FPL account which showed uh, that Sterling did very very well in terms of points per minute when Jesus started but that was a little bit misleading two of Sterling's goals in that West Ham game came after Aguero came on for Jesus so it's it's not exactly true to say that the ppm is is, is as they stated it was. it was it was a little bit um a little bit more nuanced than that but yeah certainly jay zeus is giving a lot of people cause to reconsider that kind of sterling sale despite the fact as uh, nick said in the market forces he is being moved on i mean josh you mentioned that uh, jay zeus is crossing your mind as a bit of uh, an interesting character to bring in we, we've just got such a uh, a phobia to trusting in pep i think in the fpl community that often we uh, struggle to see the wood through the trees when it comes to man cities so, what's your thoughts on Jesus and Sterling, Josh?
0: Yeah, I know J- Jesus has became it has, has come on my mind simply because of the Aguero injury. Obviously, because once he comes in, if he's going to act as Guardiola's main sticker and he's going to he's going to play every week. I mean, he's going to perform way beyond his actual value. I think he's only around nine point five, but he's going to perform in terms of how dangerous he is, and in terms of the output he can potentially deliver. He's going to perform to, you know, roughly a £12 million standard. Um, You know, just just looking at his, his, his centre, he's a bit like Vardy in the sense that he just finishes City's moves. Just looking at his Premier League output here, since the start of last season, he's taken 70 shots in the Premier League and 65 of those have been inside the penalty box. He's just that type of player. is actually really, really strong. Obviously, because he, he takes a fair amount of shots during matches and and then when I said close to goal as well, so he's just a player that, as I said, he he's undervalued when he's starting. If Aguero isn't in the picture, then Jesus is considered to be undervalued. Um, and in comparison to Sterling, Sterling's a tricky one. I still, I still actually own Sterling. Um, I made similar choice to yourself a couple of weeks ago. I I got rid of De Bruyne, and kept Sterling. Um, just because of what he's capable of, I think he's alongside Salah in terms of being. Strictly according to numbers, at least the most dangerous player in the league. Consistent shots, consistently creating for other players. But, you know, for whatever reason, he doesn't seem to be delivering lately. And I think it perhaps stems from, you know, the wealth of attackers that Guardiola has. It's a lot easier for City to, you know, to get attacking returns from from virtually anywhere. Um, And it won't always be on Sterling to find the net little bit different to if Jesus is playing because Jesus isn't the team to score and little else really. But if, if I do opt against Robertson and I go down the Jesus route I'll have to take a hit for that and that will involve getting rid of Stirling. So my move would if it's gonna happen I'm not too sure yet, but my move will be Sterling and Aaron Connolly out for Deli Ali and Jesus but it's, it's just one that I'm toying with at the minute, just a bit of a tricky one, because then I'd, I'd have two high-quality, highly-involved differentials there. Um, but it's, it's a tricky one regardless. Garden still, really strange to me.
3: Yeah, it does sound like a quite interesting move there. You're sort of getting to uh, top quality players to the price of one, essentially, because obviously um, Sterling is is very expensive to to hold and, and keep in your team when he hasn't been returning week in week out. He's certainly been um, quite frustrating for me to. Hold um, in the in the last few game weeks when he's he's not been delivering in terms of FPL points, but you know it is worth highlighting that they've just perhaps had the two um, trickiest games of the year um, in the last two fixtures um, of Liverpool and uh, Chelsea. So um, you know he's he's got through those fixtures, and and now he's looking at Newcastle and Burnley up next, which are two much nicer fixtures and, and fixtures where he's more likely to return. So. You know, I'm not sure if I'm gonna personally set him right now. I think I'm probably gonna try and hold him through those two games and hope that he now becomes a, a little bit more of a differential, having had a, a little bit of a sell off. You know, Sterling is um, obviously as you mentioned, Josh, he is he's a brilliant player, you know, he's very attacking, uh, lots of opportunities presented to him um, throughout the game and he's always getting lots of goal attempts as well. So I think um, I think he's probably gonna stay in my team for now. I'm not going to be pieing him off, but uh, yeah, Jesus, um, another very interesting alternative that's certainly come to the fore, what with that Aguero injury.
2: Yeah, I think we always say, don't we, that if you can uh, if you can get a nailed-on city attacking asset, then then you buy it, um, which definitely makes sense in the case of Jesus, and he could definitely be an option for people who are looking for that little differential. But I mean, really, when with Pep's teams, it's it's always j- just the case of basically saying that only the FPL gods can judge me from this point because you just, you just don't know week to week. I mean, I I sold. Sterling a couple of weeks ago and I haven't really looked back to be honest he's blanked both times but I've been very very lucky I feel both times as well he's still doing what he always does is, is still kind of being fairly quiet but getting through to uh, have that one big chance and it's been pretty nerve-wracking not having him and I did get very lucky against Chelsea with that uh, ricochet uh, goal that Kevin De Bruyne scored to, to make it look a lot better than it actually was in terms of uh, m- removing Sterling and keeping De Bruyne but I mean I I had De Bruyne at 9.5, loads of money yeah, tied up in him, unlike you, Nick, So it made sense for me to remove Sterling. I'm hoping that that keeps continuing, that he keeps uh, continuing to do nothing. But I don't think it's going to happen. I think he will score because he's, he's good enough to do that. Whether I call that a punishment, I don't think it would be anymore because I've made a lot of points without Sterling. But uh, equally, I can completely understand why you're both... Uh, well potentially well nick you're potentially keeping him and uh, josh why you're considering uh, moving him on i think uh, the market forces seem to show that a lot of people are indeed getting rid of sterling uh, one final question of sterling as well for you josh actually so a few people are saying as well that sterling could play um what we call out position so in the middle um as a number nine um and a, a few people are saying oh that that's good um I kind of think is it is it really like what have we learned from Richarlison and maybe Rashford and Walcott in the, in the recent past? It's not particularly good for Sterling, is it, to be doing that? And um, Hazard as well is a good example. It, it just nullifies him, doesn't it? If he's you know involved in the hold up play, um, it's much better for him, isn't it, for him to be, I guess, arriving unmarked late in the box to score those high SG chances. So, like, what do you make of uh, Sterling in that position, number nine role? Do you think it's good for him in FPL, or perhaps not?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm less inclined to look at that as a as a positive. Really, I'm not particularly sure it's a negative either. I think I would personally prefer him to actually stay on the flanks, just because he's inclined to obviously cut inside and take shots from, from his preferred zones, and he's more used to that role and and things like that. And I think you get on the end of different types of chances if you're a centre forward in 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 City system, similar to again going back to Leicester and Vardy. If you're in the team solely to to basically get on the end of chances and finish moves. You just gotta have a different type of game, you've got to have a different mentality, a different means of, you know, approaching the game from a, a tactical perspective. And you've got to be quite instinctual in, in your movements and things like that. And I think Sterling's much more suited to to wide play that that ends up cutting inside. So um yeah, if 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 I do end up keeping Sterling, I, I would prefer him to probably stay on the flanks to be honest. But I'm not sure I'll do that.
3: Yeah, I think I'm, I'm I'm inclined to agree with you there. I feel like you know when when you're playing up in the number nine position, you've you've have to face off to two centre backs. But I think um, if moving on to the sort of final question, it's just about form beating fixture, and it's from Ed FPL Rhinos, who's um, said he's always been a fixtures man and, and captain with this week, which was also the the failed Nick pick, I think. But um, form seems to be winning out. So is there any scope for captaining outside of the top four/six? in time to come and I think I, I don't know, I'm not too sure um, how we define the top four or the top six anymore, what with Leicester's rise to prominence and the likes of Spurs and Arsenal and Manchester United um, not doing particularly well. But I think it is tough to to find players outside the top six and take those risks. Um, I think we both took a risk on Callum Wilson, uh, <laughs> Ruda Day, um, earlier on in the season, which really didn't pay off. And, um, you know, you could say there's a case perhaps the likes of Jimenez maybe is a, Little bit of a captain, but that's sort of going back to the form versus fixtures. Him and is is um, a player in form at the moment as well. And uh, Callum Wilson was actually in form at the time, but I think for me, I think, oh, don't yeah. remind me, yeah, I think. After taking a little bit of a gamble, then um, going a bit maverick with my captain option last week with defender, albeit Liverpool defender, uh, probably going to go back to sort of safer picks and, and be looking at the you know the likes of Liverpool, the likes of Manchester City, the likes of Chelsea, or even you know Vardy at Leicester um, as the captain picks and just um, safely rotate around those guys. So I don't know about you, Josh. What do you think about the uh, the captain options out there? Do you, do you like to play it safe or or do you take a gamble every so often on a differential captain?
0: No, I I don't tend to gamble too much regarding captains. I think the biggest gamble I, t- I took was similar to yourselves. I obviously went for Callum Wilson against um, Norwich. But other than that, um I haven't really really pushed the boat out too much. I tend to I said earlier in the in the podcast that I think it's it's really important for your for your captains to just get some sort of return because it's it's straight away. It's almost like you've got two players. So as you said, I'm not sure too sure what the top six is anymore. But I like to pick a player who is maybe a bit of a talisman for a side, um, heavily involved in the team's attack. And um, that team's attack has to be fairly consistent in terms of, you know, a certain number of shots taken each week sort of thing. So I wouldn't be too comfortable. I mean, there's, there's an argument that you could pick captains based on, if you're playing West Ham or if you're playing Norwich, just captain a, a player who's up against them. I think Danny Ings is up against Norwich in, in next week maybe or so. There's an argument for that possibly, but I think I generally stick with the players who you know are going to be heavily involved and you know are playing teams that post consistently good attacking numbers every week.
2: Yeah, no, it certainly makes sense. And I, I just just a quick look at the fixtures. I, I don't really see until game week 18 when Jimenez is away at Norwich um, a, a good time when you'd be looking at doing that. I mean, there are split captaincies, but there's split captaincies with. Uh, well, if we're defining Leicester as a top 16, which we almost definitely are at this point, I don't really see a point when you, you're not going to be captaining one of those guys. So this week, we got split between Mane Vardy. Abraham, maybe Pulisic, maybe even Son. Uh, Game week 15, you've got Vardy against Watford. Abraham against Aston, against Aston Villa at home. Mane um, in the uh, Merseyside derby, perhaps. And game week 16, again, uh, Mane away against Bournemouth. Um, Vardy away against Villa. Game week 17, everyone's in the captain. Vardy against Norwich, I'm pretty sure. Although Mane does play uh, Watford. Liverpool do play Watford that week. And game week 18, that takes us up to then. Uh, when there's lots of really awkward fixtures for lots of people. Uh, Man City are home to Leicester, uh, which knocks out perhaps Vardy as well. Chelsea are away to Spurs, which knocks out Abraham Pulisic and Mounts of this world, and maybe maybe knocks out Son as well. Uh, so you've got you know, that, that's a good time to maybe look at the likes of Jimenez as your captain. That's the best fixture I think that week. Uh, Norwich um, uh, are at home to Wolves that day, but you know, other than that, I think it's a very situational pick to look at um, captaining outside of the top four to six because, as Josh said, I think it's the consistency, isn't it, to uh, to, to really do that? Um, there is. I, I, I don't know. I mean, looking around, there is game with 15, I think, if we're going to go with uh, targeting the whipping boys, as Josh Intimates the second ago. Uh, game with 15, uh, Jimenez is playing uh, West Ham, so maybe that could be one in the midweek fixture when there's going to be a lot of rotation. But Vardy at home to Watford, you know he's going to play that game. I, I don't really see why the Caps would go anywhere else, except for if you're trying to go for a differential, of course. And that's a very nice segue, of course, to the very end of the pod, which is the transfers and captains for this week. Uh, so I've already made my transfers. I've carried on with my recklessness as it is, breaking all the rules. I haven't taken a hit this week. I had two free transfers, as I said. And I've brought in, uh, brought in Son again. As the second time he's been in my squad this season. I brought him in before his price rose on Saturday night. I took out Tillemont for him. Um, it was a quite a difficult decision between him and Mount, actually, but I let to remove Tillemont because I could fit in Ben Chilwell for Ben Mendy. So keeping the left-back's called Ben uh, Flame going. Um, but yeah, as I said, I really rate Chilwell. I had him for quite a while last year as well. Got me a few kind of 9, 10-pointers from getting an assist and a clean sheet. Uh, last game week, I noticed as well that he he did get the two bonus too. And he's performed pretty damn solidly over the last few games. Of course, that 19-pointer against uh, Southampton, a light uh, anomaly uh, but still yeah I'm set up pretty well this week um, uh, with that I've still got Leicester to kind of double up I don't have Le- Leicester midfielder anymore but I do have Chilwell and do have Vardy and I think I'm going to be okay there and captaincy wise I'm going to shove it on probably on Tammy Abraham given how bad West Ham are I'm just hoping they do me a favour and keep Pellegrini in the job until uh, until Saturday uh, what about you Josh what are you looking to do this week I know you spoke about it a tiny bit earlier on too
0: Regarding transfers, I think it's, it's either going to be a, a straight move to Andy Robertson from probably my worst sign of the season, Joe don't know. I don't know where that one came from, but he's barely
2: even played. Oh, I um, so your pain. I bought Mendy, so it's <laughs> a similar sort of yeah, level, isn't it?
0: Yeah, nightmare that one. So possibly that, but if, if I fancy taking a risk, then it'll be, as you said earlier, just bringing in Jesus and bringing in Deli Alley. And regarding the captaincy, a little bit of a tricky one this week because of the, the wealth of options. I've currently got it on Marnie at home to Brighton, but Sammy Abraham does look does look enticing simply because he's he, he's a player who showed up. I mean, I was, I was actually scheduled to come on, on this, this podcast earlier in the season, wasn't I, before the season started? Yeah. And one of the, one of the players that I was going to suggest, believe it or not, was Sammy Abraham. Obviously, <laughs> now, I look, now I look like a bit of a liar, but uh, <laughs> I can promise you. And that was because he last season for, for, for Aston Villa, he just showed up as a, as a player who just consistently gets good, realistic chances inside the penalty box and converts them at a high rate. And obviously playing for for a quality team, OK, it's in the Premier League, but I could just envisage that, that continuing. So, considering he's up against West Ham, who consistently, they don't face a great deal of shots, but when they do, they're quite open chances, they're quite easy to finish. And Sammy Abraham's an expert to get in on the end of those. He's a player that, it's out of Abraham and Marnie, the, maybe air on the side of Abraham, I think.
3: Yeah, for me, I think it's um, Mane that's got the armband right now, was quite tempted by Abraham as well. It's a bit of a sort of a 50-50 between those two, but um, I'm leaning towards Mane just because um, I've, I've said this before, I think midfielders tend off a little bit more. And forwards and um, as captain picks, just because they get extra points and they get the points of the clean sheets as well. So even if they don't score, sometimes they can get a clean sheet point, and it's not a complete captain fail. But um, yeah, I think Marnie for me, um, he's getting my arm banned. Um, in terms of transfers, I'm probably gonna roll my transfer this game week. Um, so I've got so I had two free transfers next game week. I'm pretty happy with the, with the squad I've got for this fixture, um, for this fixture set. So yeah, probably gonna roll.
2: Oh, great. Well, that's your lot this week. Thanks very much for listening. Uh, just say, so we are Who Got This List. You can find us on Twitter at WGCA underscore FPL. Find Nick at WGCA underscore Nick. Listen and subscribe, of course, across of course, the podding spectrum. We're joined today uh, by Josh at Distance Covered. Uh, thanks very much for your time, mate.
3: Absolutely. Thanks for getting me involved. Yeah, thanks, Josh, for coming on. It's really good. Just if you haven't joined our league, the league code is EIKX03. There's also a theme to every single pod. Uh, last week, it was a green day
2: we we'll are back next week. We'll be back on YouTube um, on Tuesday the 3rd. And just because three game weeks in seven days and there's no time really to do a podcast. But we'll be on YouTube for a live sort of performance that I'll cut up into a little uh, audio thing as well. Uh, but the good news is I've learned how to do graphics with a lot of help from Football Index Guide and FPL Dave. Uh, so we'll be presenting it like that, hopefully. And it'll be very, very nice and very WTA branded. So looking forward to that one. Uh, but in the meantime, good luck this weekend. I hope to assist you and we'll speak to you very, very soon. Goodbye. Bye. Excellent. It's yours. Thanks for me. Thanks. Oh, it's a goal. You got the assist. Who got the assist?
3: Sports Social Podcast Network.